0: Welcome on into our virtual town hall. I am your host, Michelle Marie. Thank you all for joining us today. Now, before we start, I want to thank Providence for bringing all these amazing voices together. And of course, a warm thank you to Dash Radio for giving us a platform to talk about this very important critical issue. So um, I'm going to kick it off by letting all the panelists uh, sort of introduce themselves to get started. Um, I will give a little bit of like a um, lead into it and let you guys take it over from there. Um, so I will start off with Dr. Benjamin F. Miller, who is a psychologist and Chief Strategy Officer of Wellbeing Trust. How are you?
1: I'm well, I'm well. You can't call me Dr. Benjamin F. Miller again, though. So you just never again. Gazed. Never again. <laughs> it's like I'm in trouble with my mom or something horrible. Um, yeah, great to be with you. So yeah, Wellbeing Trust is a national foundation. We were started by Providence about four years ago, and we invest very heavily in the mental health space. So happy to be with you today.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks for having um, everybody else for being here, and uh, I'm going to move it over to Miyumi McKinley. I want to make sure that I didn't butcher your name. Did I get it right?
2: Almost. Miyumi.
0: Miyumi. Okay. I'm going to go back to the original. So Miyumi McKinley, she is a mental health therapist, educator, and public speaker who promotes mental health awareness and addresses the challenges that affect Black, Indigenous, and communities of color in America.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a mental health therapist. Um, In addition to supporting the community, we have um, teletherapy available. I'm the owner of Epiphany Counseling. And so really excited that during these struggling times, we're able to offer therapy, not just in California, but in Texas and Georgia, where somebody mentioned there were. So really excited to be on the panel and um, offer some tips and tools that help individuals.
0: Well, thanks for being here. And uh, we also have Meredith O'Connor, who's next. She is a musician, TED speaker, and anti-bullying and mental health icon. How are you, Meredith? I am good. I'm so grateful for
3: this happening. I hope it um, benefits. I know it's going to benefit so many people because of the wonderful voices on this platform. So I'm honored to be here.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, And next we have Jenna Andrews. She is an artist, songwriter, and music industry executive. She's passionate about destigmatizing mental health and has her own show on YouTube called The Green Room.
4: Hi, guys.
0: Hello. Um,
4: Yeah, I love these intros. I feel like you don't really have to say much, but yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah Add a little bit of flavor if you need it
4: <laughs> well, I, mean, I i um it's it's funny i just started this green room talks in the beginning of when this whole thing went down i've been wanting to do it for a while because mental health is just really important to me and a lot of musicians well every musician and every songwriter and every artist i know struggles with anxiety so i feel like there's so many people out there that could really benefit from like looking at the people they look up to and realizing that you know, they're not so isolated. And I think this year has really taught us that, you know, that we can all come together. Yes. On so I really thought this was appropriate time to do it, but obviously continue that after, you know, COVID too, because I think it's just really important for people to, again, just feel united. And I think it's made me feel really, we me really good to help other people. So
0: through music. It's a, it's a cathartic feeling when you're able to, you know, spread the love and and feel like you can relate to others. So I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, and lastly, we have Taylor Wesley. She is joining us as a mental health speaker. Um, she is a very, she has a very, um, courageous story. She, uh, got sober at the age of 20 and you share your story to encourage other people, uh, young people to seek addiction treatment. So elaborate a little bit on that.
5: Yes. um, Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here because I actually heard about well-being trust on the newspaper and reached out to them because I loved their mission. And I talked to Ben um, quite a bit on the phone. Um, So this is like really cool how it comes full circle and I'm getting to do this. But yes, I um, it was kind of organic the way it started. Um, It was really just for me being transparent in college about being sober. Um, and then I actually had the opportunity to work in the substance abuse treatment field for a little bit. And my role there was, was to work with therapists and anyone who works with people who may need treatment um, and help them with the admissions process. So I've, I'm kind of the front lines, I guess you could say. And so I've gotten to witness a lot in the last couple of years and, you know, especially during COVID, it's been tough. I mean, I, my entire team got laid off, so I'm actually unemployed right now, you know, transparency is key. So that's where I'm going to be transparent here. And so it's been difficult for, for all of us um, and, and even mm-hmm. me personally, I'll admit, you know, so I'm glad to have the opportunity to give some some hope to people and talk amongst yeah. each other about the challenges going on
0: we really appreciate you and all of you it's just such like i was saying before we even started it's just such a great feeling for me too to be a part of this because i've been dealing with a tremendous amount of uh hardship you know in the past six seven months in almost like the past three four years i would say has been really tough for me so i just feel already excited and invigorated by the conversation so i can't wait to kind of get into some different topics um so let's just go ahead and kick it off um so it's no surprise it's 2020 we are in some very trying times, Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has devastated our mental health and well being, and additional deaths from drug or alcohol misuse and suicide could occur from COVID. These are called the deaths of despair and they are rising due to the isolation and collective trauma that we feel in our current environment of isolation and injustices. But there is hope and that's why we're all here to talk about it, speaking out about mental health and the stigma around it will help show others that they are not alone. Our panelists today will discuss how we can cope and all be well in today's changing culture. I have to be sure to share that this is a content warning for all of you watching. Um, Our conversation will cover many real world issues, including depression, substance abuse, and suicide. If you are struggling, this program may not be right for you or you may want to watch it at a later time. If you need someone to talk to, there's always help available reach out to the crisis text line by texting talk to 741-741 or call the national suicide prevention lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to talk to someone who can help okay so let's get started uh, let's just talk about what's happening right now uh we're currently in the pandemic we're all coping with this crisis none of us are alone in this um let's start with dr miller suicide and addiction. Okay, that's the first topic here. So these are issues that have existed before COVID-19. Talk to us about what's happening now with the pandemic and our mental health and your work to improve the health and well-being of our nation.
1: Well, let's just start with that point that you made about this was happening before the pandemic. I mean, the United States has failed pretty miserably taking care of the folks in this country's mental health and addiction needs. And so what, what COVID has done is it's put this magnifying glass on top on, on top of all the parts that you don't want people to see. So it's exposed the areas that we we were failing in. And so we've done a lot of work just trying to lift up the importance of giving people hope, no doubt, but also highlighting that if anything, this is a moment for action. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like you have to say, you have to highlight the bad parts, as I said. So you have to talk about the number of lives lost. So in 2018, we lost over 152,000 lives to drug, alcohol, and suicide. 2019, drug overdose deaths went up 5% to 72,000. Preliminary data from this year, the first four months, we shall at least see, are seeing a 17% increase in drug overdose deaths, and that's just on one side of the continuum. If you look at the other side, we've seen a threefold increase in depression, anxiety, and rates of suicidal ideation in our youth. That is just troubling. Uh, so I think what we have to do as a nation is we've got to come to a place that we say, okay, it wasn't working before, and as much as we all want to go back to like life as it was, life as it was wasn't working for most people. So what can we do? And I, I look to my colleagues on this call to help us think about what the next big step is for us around mental health and addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. And so now that you kind of you know talk about that, what that next step is, what comes to mind for you just offhand?
1: Okay, three things. Uh, I'm always prepared for these questions. Uh, one, we need leadership. And I think you're gonna hear that from my colleagues on the call today. You've gotta have folks in every sector step up and to speak into the power and importance of mental health and addiction. Number two, you got to put money where your mouth is. You got to invest. If there's not adequate resources out there in community to really hold up those community supports to take care of folks, just forget about it. And number three, you got to integrate care. You got to put mental health and addiction services wherever people show up, from the place that you get your haircut to the clinic down the street that's never even used the word mental health. We've got to make sure that we make it easier for folks to access care wherever they are.
0: Mm -hmm. And it needs to just be sort of like a blanket term. So everyone knows that this is part of like our collective, um, our collective need for healthcare in general. I think that at least for me, you know, my mom is in her eighties. So, you know, just even saying the word, Oh, mental health or therapy, she just, that's not something she ever had to deal with and ever needed to deal with because she never knew that it was actually there for her. Um, yet she's dealing with memory loss and a lot of, um, you know things that have happened in her life that she hadn't dealt with for so many years, and we're seeing it now. So it's so interesting now that you know it's almost like for me, COVID hit, and now that mental health conversation just got elevated to a new level. It's actually you know it's awareness that I think is is as actually a silver lining in what we're dealing with right now. Uh, Miyumi, so I want to go to you. Would you agree with uh, Dr. Uh, Miller with this? And um, tell me a little bit about the uptick in people reaching out uh, for help, specifically people of color. Have you seen that in your practice?
2: Oh, definitely. I think I'm agree with everything he said. I think this has COVID-19 has put a magnifying glass on issues that have all always, always been present. And so it's kind of, Bittersweet. is highlighting the areas of development that us as a country need to, to, to put into, you know put some action behind, and it's also created a platform for more people to ask for help. So I have overall seen an increase in individuals wanting help, wanting wanting services, specifically in communities of color as well, or in, you know lots of communities of color and lots of um, religious communities where mental health was looked at as a taboo, where it wouldn't naturally be navigated towards. People are desperate. I mean, there's been an increase in anxiety. Overall, people who didn't even know what anxiety was are going to the hospital ER because they're thinking that they're having heart attacks or something's wrong with them um, physically and it's really anxiety. increase in feelings of helplessness and hopelessness because of what Taylor mentioned, um, just people losing jobs, families changing, dynamics changing. Um, There's emotional and physical abuse for those who their homes weren't the safest. And now we're in a place where everyone has to stay home to be safe, quote unquote. So while you're safe maybe from COVID-19, it's created unsafe environments for many people. Um, And not to mention just the grief and loss overall that even if it's not in your immediate family, just hearing about all of right. the people who have been impacted by these things. It's been such a a difficult time. And those where going out was a distraction from maybe some emotional wounds and things that you hadn't dealt with, people are kind of forced to stay with themselves. You're kind of forced mm-hmm. to deal with yourself. And it's been really really challenging to find or adjust to the new norm. So I hope that answered your question. Definitely, it's highlighted. It's, it's definitely an increase, which is a good thing, but I'm really hoping this platform and everyone here sharing information encourages those who may not, may not have made that first step of seeking mental health support services, you know, supports mm-hmm. encourages them to do so.
0: You know, I know for a lot of people in my life, people that I know that have been isolated or have been staying home and they have a lot of fear with going out in public. I mean, obviously everybody has a different... Um, you know, opinion about the virus and, you know, their, their level of safety may not be the same as another person's. So how can you kind of um, bring it back to, um, you know, just as a whole, as a nation, you know, we're dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety that is also coming with uncertainty. Can you elaborate a little bit more about, you know, how to cope with uncertainty? Because every single day you just have no idea what's going to happen.
2: I think for the first time, and I'd love to hear what Dr. Miller has to say and other
0: people, I think this is the
2: first time. They don't teach you in school how to deal with a pandemic, right? This is the first time where the people on the front line who are helping are in the exact same situation as those that they are helping. So it's created a really interesting dynamic. Um, As far as anxiety, it is the fear of the unknown. It's the being unsure. And a lot of us, when we have anxiety, we try to control things right? That's, that's our natural go-to. You grasp for what you have control over. And then with the pandemic, there's not much. So it's created a very challenging situation. I've been encouraging individuals to try to find and focus on what's within their control. We don't have a lot of control over politics. We can't control the person who decides not to wear their mask. We can't control the family members that are deciding to still go out, but you do have control over your household. You do have control over what you, what, um, What you feed yourself, so from social media, you know, making sure that you find some positive things to incorporate, you pour into yourself, because overall, self-care looks different. Can't go to the spa or you can't, you know, (laughs) depending on where you are. So really embracing the fact that um, a new norm is being created and that new norm doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be COVID-led. Um, being open to the idea that family time and things can look different. No, you and your family may not be able to plan a vacation to Tahiti, but you all can, you know, be creative, you know, put some lights in the living room, build a fort, camp out in the living room. I think it's forcing individuals to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And if we are open to doing that, then we can create new temporary norms that help us stay a little bit balanced until outside opens back up again. So I would say think outside the box. I mean, up something in your backyard. I saw somebody get a projector. They all came outside in the backyard with bean bags, and that was the movie theater. And so, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, you
2: know, everybody taking turns cooking. It's really just forcing us to think outside the box. And I think that will help lessen anxiety. I wish there was a quick answer to throw it away. Um, but I think we have to embrace the new norm and take it day by day.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Miller, do you have anything to say about um, just the way that the way that we're all having to face this each day, um, and many of our structures have been um, in an uproar. You know, I know my structure and my environment has completely changed. Can you uh, add a little bit of insight on the environmental factor of COVID? Because obviously, there's all these different rules that we have to put in place with wearing the mask and all of those things. But you know, how do we adjust as a as a as a whole to the environmental changes that we have?
1: Well, first of all, you all have to stop calling me Dr. Miller. This is not formal. Just call me Ben. Ben! <laughs> Thank you. you it. I, it's just way too formal here. Um, okay. So I, I think the answer to your question is really found in the fact that many of us right now just need to embrace the uncertainty. And I totally agree with my Yumi was saying. Like, there, This is a moment for everybody to know that it's okay to not be okay and that anxiety, depression, isolation, loneliness, these are natural things that are going to come from what's happening in our country. Now, where it becomes a problem is when you begin to, you know, stop talking to folks and you changed your behaviors to the point that you've now literally done nothing that brings you joy. I mean, there's a lot of things that we would look out for. But I think for most folks, um, this is a moment for us to say, you know, what it, it's OK for us to feel a little anxious. It's OK for us to talk about this. And the cool thing, which is why I can't wait to hear from my other colleagues here, is that the more we talk about it, there's a magic and a kind of a secret in that it actually makes us feel a little bit better. But if we just keep it inside and we don't do what Miami has on our wall, we don't sparkle, we don't shine, then you know we don't thrive. I right. think that's what sparkle means. I don't know what sparkle means, but it's something I would aspire to.
0: <laughs> sparkle is a good thing. I think we're all sparkling in this conversation. I want to go ahead and bring in Taylor. Um, so you have a really great social media following, and I'm sure you have a lot of followers that have reached out to you. Um, what have you heard so far? Have you had a lot of DMs? Um, give us a little insight on that.
5: i was muted yes um i will say that now more than ever i have had people reaching out to me um not only on kind of a you know random skill but in within my personal life um i'm hearing about it in even a smaller social circle more than ever like not just from working in the mental health field but like family friends um people from atlanta and um you know, we're talking about social media. I actually made a TikTok about addiction and I had about 15 young women reach out to me saying that they were struggling with addiction during this time. And I'm not exaggerating at that number at all. Um, And it just goes to show like kind of what Ben was saying that until somebody kind of takes that and we all have kind of a platform and a responsibility to take that step to put yourself out there, whether it's vulnerability, whether it's just saying, I'm here for you. Like literally at the end of my TikTok, all I said was, I'm here for you, reach out. And so giving that prompt kind of simplified it for people. And that gave them the courage to reach out to me. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it's tough now because we're all hiding behind our computer screens Because that's what we have to do. Um, But you can use that to your benefit by having like the opportunity to connect with people from all over the United States. And then the biggest thing for me is when people reach out to me. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a mental health professional. I want to connect them with somebody who can treat that, who can Mm. help them. I'm just there to listen and to be there for them. I'm not there to give them direct suggestions. I'm there to only talk from experience. And then I'm there to help connect them with somebody who can help treat them, whether that be substance abuse treatment, a mental health Mm -hmm. professional, a therapist. Um, But yeah, the biggest thing is just continuing that open conversation more than ever. And, you know, we're staying um, in, like we were saying, like staying in our homes to protect our physical health and the physical health of others, but it's hard cause it's like whack-a-mole. Like in turn, we're harming our mental health and the mental health of others because isolation is what drives addiction. And I know that personally that's what drove my addiction. So it's been tough for people who maybe have been sober for years to then be in that point of isolation where they can't go to AA meetings or they can't go grab coffee with their friends and um, process things. Uh, so, you know, it's, It's how do we get creative and break those barriers right now? And so that's really just making sure to remind people that you're there to talk and you're and it ends up helping you. Like when those girls reached out to me, like I felt better, too, because I was able to relate with to somebody. And that's the whole point of it.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I've been taking care of my mom and I had to leave. You know, I had to leave my apartment. It's in L.A. I'm actually here now. It's actually the fifth time I've been here since March. So my entire environment switched up and I had to move and step in and take care of my mom because she's losing her memory. So, you know, I had to add that additional responsibility to my plate Um, and she's 84 years old. So, you know, we've been in isolation. Like I, this is like one of the only times that I've really been able to um, do this kind of work because I've been so, you know, constrained with that. But at the same time, you know, I have learned that in that time, you like you were saying, um, Miyumi, that you can try to find other ways to keep yourself busy and to um, do the best that you can with what you've got. Um, and so I did start to reach out to a lot of my friends that I hadn't heard from in a while just to check in with them, because I know that those check-ins mean a lot, especially obviously to all of you and also to me. Um, because when my friends reach out saying, how are you? Are you doing okay? Do you need any help? Um, you know. As much as I wanted to do it all myself, because that's just who I am, I have kind of just let my guard down and have been reaching out for help within my friendship and within my friendship community and within like the own, you know, my own sort of circle of friends. Um, One thing I'm going to say is that talk about a little bit about about loneliness, because a lot of people are living alone right now. Um, I'm grateful that I'm staying with my mom, but can we elaborate a little bit on that? Um, and being so isolated to where you have that fear of leaving the house, um, but you have really nothing else around you except for your own mind to just go on and on and on in your head. Um, I can maybe just direct this to Miyumi or Ben.
1: I'll just say really quickly. I mean, loneliness can be as bad for you as smoking or obesity, and that we knew that before the pandemic. You know, one third of older adults—speaking of your mom—were chronically lonely, something that they've experienced for some time. And so our nation has had this loneliness problem for a bit. And now what we've done is it's its cruelly ironic when the time that we're the most stressed and we need the most support, we're having to like socially distance and isolate ourselves even more. Actually, we don't even use the term socially distance, physically distance, because who wants to socially distance? We need to be connected and doing conversations like this. So what's the solution to loneliness? That, I think that is in here that lies the, the question and the, the solution for what folks have seen In their own experience, um, the things that bring me joy that have made me feel a little bit more hopeful about not being as lonely is hearing cars honk up and down my street when the kids are not able to go to school and it's the teachers doing a parade and waving at them to get a letter in the mail. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I got a letter in the mail from a colleague that was thinking about me. You know, small, small, small things that really do bring us joy. Uh, I'll share one more story. Uh, The chair of our advisory board, she brings out her Christmas card list and what she does is every week she writes five letters to different people every week and she mails them off because, as I just said, you know what it meant for me to receive a letter in the mail. Imagine you're a little lonely. You've been sitting in the house for three weeks at a time without going out and you get a letter from somebody. that's not just like a, you know, a like on a, a tweet. It's actually something that's meaningful. It goes deeper than that. I think we could do small things to really combat loneliness.
0: Yeah, just to, to tack on to that, my mom actually received a card from our five-year-old um, cousin, and I actually asked her mom, can you, you know, can you send something in the mail? And my mom was brought to tears. So just what you were saying, Ben, it's, it, it made a huge difference, those little gestures. So I have to take note, I'm sure all of us will, to just Do that and to make sure that we're reaching out to everyone. I'm going to move on to Jenna. Um, so Jenna, you are in the music industry. Uh, you have a very unique perspective there. How are you seeing people cope with the challenges that they're facing in the industry?
4: Um, well, it's actually interesting because I feel like in music obviously like the touring side has been obviously super damaging for people that rely on that as income but also just to for developing artists that are like you know obviously building a fan base and you know that's such a way that people can you know feel like they can you know feel closer to their favorite artists you know it's just like there's no other like connection more than live music so that's been definitely something but at the same time You know, we're a very lucky industry as well because we've been able to really thrive in terms of the songwriting producing angle because a lot of people have, you know, I have a home studio here, like, um, and and so many people, honestly, it's challenged a lot of people I know to learn how to record themselves that didn't know how to before and things like that. So I think it's been really fortunate for, for the music industry because really in terms of the recording industry, it's really gone on very similarly. And also it's taught us, to into i mean i think to your guys's point too benjamin um about like just how to like you know su- uh succumb to like loneliness or whatever and help you know cure that i feel like the thing that's really good is i think it's forced people to just like the amount of pe- times that like everyone facetimes now like you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. people use it like people forgot how to just call it's like uh it's like actually funny but great in the same time because it's like how cool is that like you might be feeling so lonely but Now it's so normal to FaceTime see people and have that connection. As much as you like think, oh, this is so good. We're just talking on Zoom or FaceTime, there's something very weirdly. I know it might sound funny because we're not robots, we're humans, and we need to like interact, but at the same time, there's still an energy exchange. And I'm like obviously a weirdo creative person, but I'm all about like esoteric, like, you know touching the universe and all this stuff. But I do think it's like, if you're even somebody that thinks logically, it's like very physics based, right? It's like, we're just exchanging energy. And I think there's something really cool about that. Like being able to sit here and be like, Hey, like we can really develop a friendship. And I potentially haven't met you before. Like that's something that we're all learning in 2020. And like, I think somebody said in the beginning, like, I just don't think we're going to go back to any kind of normal we ever had before, but that's good. I mean, I think that that's a good thing. And I think it, in a way, like we have to come out of this with the positive stuff we've learned, not just the negative things we're going through. And that's sort of how I, I like to look at it. Cause I'm like, wow, this is, I, I mean, another theory I sort of have is like, is this like sort of the grant? I mean, it is kind of ironic. This is 2020, you know what I mean? It's like 2020 vision. This is the universe's way of saying, this is basically like, you know, the hunger games, I feel like, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, survival of the fittest, like, let's go, you know, and I hate to say that. And it sounds, but there's something very, like, interesting about what's gone on this year. And I think in the sense that, like, hey, it's taught people to, you know, maybe to worry about their health more, you know, like, maybe they didn't eat properly before, maybe they didn't pay attention to things, because they were going too fast. Or, you know, maybe now they're forced to eat a certain way. Um, You know, maybe they did have alcoholism problems, maybe, I don't know, there's so many things that I feel like, we were forced to pay attention to as well during this period. So I think in that sense, um, you know, I, and, and, and maybe it's to the negative effect. And I know that a lot of people have gone through really hard times and, and, but I think that ultimately it's challenging all of us in different ways. And I think that coming out of this period of time, it's like, we're living in a moment of history. That's like very transitional. We're like completely shifting, like the way we have known how to live within you know humankind really and I think that's really interesting and really um I'm trying to see it in a positive way you know
0: yeah and that's the key too for me I'm just trying to look at the time that I have with my mom and the times that I have to get things done that I never actually attended to um you know I'm gonna like I learned how to cook for the first time ever you (laughs) too yeah that's so funny i mean we're la girls right because like who cooks in la i mean well, sushi all day every day. <laughs> Yeah,
4: day I mean, i'm not even an la girl i'm actually from canada but i um either way I, i'm like an everywhere girl but non-cooking girl but i literally was like like the first time i cooked i like spilled the oil on my stomach and i still have a scar so i don't know if that was <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing being like, I don't know if it was like, you should continue doing this or stop, but I continued. And I'm like, it's such a cool, like, I love the, it's so art. Like I see how people like it, like the art in it. Cause it's like, I love like, Oh, this would taste good together. This would taste good. Like, it's so fun. It gets your mind off of everything
0: too. Oh, it's so It's so amazing. Right.
4: And isn't it interesting you? how like smells, like, you know what I mean? Like certain smells or like how, how, how sensitive we are to like every sort of like touch smell um, hearing like these things really evoke emotion in us. Like you could have the most stressful day and then you smell cooking and it somehow relaxes you. It's like, Oh, I feel like somehow at home and like comforted. And like, it makes you feel like you're, you're like back to your childhood, like dinner time, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: this is the thing is that we have to do things that we had never done before because of this the situation. If we're on lockdown, we've got to you know we have to buy groceries, we have to have delivery. Like I learned all new things. Um, but you know, I feel like we're in a place where this is like a for me twenty twenty is like a reorganization of everybody's life. Like there's no one that has that has not been affected by this pandemic. Um, so it's really just about how you look at your life as a whole. And I think Miyumi were saying uh, before about like being having to face yourself in the mirror. That is something that I, I think about that Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror. I, I thought about that a few months ago. Um and you are, you're really having to look at yourself in the mirror and evaluate um and evaluate your life. And so for the people that have to that you know they either use or they run away from it or they it's like the escapism thing. Um, there's really no escaping yourselves, right? Right. That's you have
2: true. to I tell my clients all the time you have to take yourself with you wherever you go. So you get, <laughs> there's no running. Was Jenna, were you about to say something? No,
4: I, I agree. I was like, no, I, so I'm like, no, oh. i was saying that. um, No, I, I think the interaction between mind, body, soul is like something that's always been like, so, I mean, that's such a real thing because it's like, like it is, you have to protect your body as if it's like your temple. Like it is your house, ha- like your house, right? It's your house for your organ. Like you're literally, yeah. So it's kind of like, think of, thinking of it that way, you're like, wow, like, how much control you have of your own, like what, what you actually can control what you're consuming, what you're doing, are they exercise you're doing? Like there's so much stuff and you have to think you mental and it, it all sort of relates back to like one particular thing, I think. Right? right. It's like, and I think that is that, that challenge in itself is so hard. I mean, it's very hard. It's not, it's listen, I always find as myself and I'm sure, I don't know. I'm sure you guys would probably agree. Like it's so much, easier to like tell someone else than to actually do it. Like practice, (laughs) preach. I find myself speaking these things and I'm like, God, why can't I do it? Like I got to like, I got to tell myself these things, you know? Yeah.
0: Um. Meredith, I want to hear from you. You know, you're also in the music industry. Um, and you know, you've spoken all over the world. So, you know, you you obviously have a lot of fans that have been reaching out to you. I'm sure too, during this time, Uh What has your experience been like so far during COVID? Well, let's start here. I did my second world tour and stopped halfway through because of
3: um, a relapse in anxiety. I was recently, this is all exclusive information that I wasn't planning on, that that the press doesn't know and my fans don't know in depth, but I am doing a project alongside NAMI, the National NAMI in America, which does wonderful work and a bunch of celebrities that um, you know a bunch of friends i have that are also artists around the world um titled you are not alone inspired by something i learned when i first went viral and had record label executives tell me not to talk about bullying because it won't sell and i did it anyway and i knew that these kids needed a role model i actually didn't know that i knew that hopefully someone would connect to it and maybe it would help them what i didn't know is how many people were going through what i was going through and That success, I it was easy to ignore my own mental health. It was easy to think that I had recovered from OCD when I was 13 and done this world tour and then the second world tour, and everything's fine. Um, but when you don't take care of yourself, it's easy for things to creep back. And I've used this time to sort of manage the things I can't control. I love what Mayumi was saying, um, and what Dr. (laughs) Miller was saying then. Um, I think it's really, really important, and, you know, and, and also what Taylor was saying about um, how being alone, you have to keep, you know, keep account of yourself and and, um, and what Jenna was saying as well. I just think there's so much important knowledge going on here, especially that I, I really want to use, uh, continue to use my platform for a positive message. Um, but being able to show the world that um, you are not alone, like actually show that through, whether it's a song, um, whether it's doing a meet and greet and having a bunch of fans tell me they, they experienced something that I went to. It's, it's just people, this can, you know, anxiety can be isolating, especially now. And I think that the benefit of knowing other people on the internet around the world are experiencing, whether it's OCD, depression, anxiety, whatever they're going through, um, can give them hope that it will get better. And I'm really happy to be able to be the role model that I wish I had when I turned on the TV when I was nine years old. Um, so that's my main my main role in all this, and that's what I am. That's why I'm starting to share my experiences. Um, everyone knows I was bullied <laughs> in middle school. I mean, that's not a, the world knows that, but a lot of people don't know about the PTSD that I've been dealing with even after fame, um, and how and how it can really get in the way of your life if it's not taken care of. But it could also be stopped.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for your courageous uh, your courageous reveal. Uh, We really appreciate you being so open and honest I know it's not easy. I mean all of us are dealing with something But that is that is really hard, you know in this time. We're all dealing with it But you specifically have you know, you're you're out in the public. So being a public figure um, and having to reveal those things um, It really does take another level of courage. So um, I'd love to hear um, from one of the doctors here just just kind of going taking it back to just as a whole um, Having to to muster up that courage and wanting to be someone like pretend like, you know, you you are in a position where You have no choice, but but speaking out let's say that's your role um, How does someone like that cope and how does someone like that speak out without having it? You know affect them too much internally.
1: Well, there's this old bumper sticker it's an old adage that we used to use a lot in alcoholics anonymous and it was that you know secrets keep us sick and it's it's actually a very true sentiment because the more that we hide the more that we suppress the worse it is for us i mean not only do we feel really bad but we start becoming a poor friend our relationships change you know our the quality of work i mean listening to these talented folks on the call i mean your work suffers everything suffers when you begin to push things down and not address it. And and it feels okay at the beginning because you think you're doing yourself a service, right? You're like, oh, that's just too tough to deal with. I'm gonna avoid it and not talk about it. But the you know example I used with my patients years ago and Miami's probably got better ones, is like you know, sweeping dirt under the rug doesn't mean the dirt goes anywhere. You just hide it. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up until you're walking on a 10 foot rug. I mean, things like that just don't help. So I would encourage anybody that's at least feeling that things aren't right to talk to somebody. It doesn't need to be a licensed trained professional. I mean, that's great. There's not enough of them out there. Try your best to get to them, but, you know, talk to your friends, talk to your family, do the things that bring you joy. And there's, there's a cathartic element to even doing something as simple as what you know Taylor was doing as we started the call, picking up your puppy and just engaging with someone else and not just sitting there in your own, here comes the puppy. Perfect cue. You know? <laughs> that's what I would say. And and again, Mayumi's probably got better ways to describe it.
2: No, I I agree with you 100%. I appreciate Mary, this transparency and reminding us because um, an analogy to what you're saying, I always tell my clients that um, processing, going to therapy, it's like healing a deep wound. So um, I'm from Louisiana, so we use Neosporin. I don't know if everybody else knows a Neosporin. It's like an ointment you put on a cut. And so I say when we distract ourselves, it's like putting Neosporin and a Band-Aid on a really deep wound. It's okay for a while, but the Band-Aid's going to fall off. It's going to puss up. It's going to get infected. That hurt, that intensity is going to be the exact same. And then you put more Neosporin and a Band-Aid on it. However, when you actually talk to someone, when you go to A, when you go to therapy, when you kind of process those hurts, those emotional wounds, it's like cleaning that wound from the inside out. It's like taking the antibiotics. So afterwards, there's the scar there that may remind you, oh, that happened. It may tug at your heart from time to time, but the intensity of the feeling has lessened. Therapy is not magic. I mean, I would have a line around the corner if I could just magically take people's traumas away, right? It would be great. (laughs) Um, um, But therapy is an opportunity to heal. So whatever has happened to you, um, doesn't take over your life. And I like the fact that we're bringing awareness to the fact that, um, because sometimes just um, helping others can in and of itself be a distraction or an addiction from what you're actually going through. So when you talk about people on a platform who are helping other people, you know, now COVID has caused you to stop as well. <laughs> you know, and now you have to deal with your own stuff and your own feelings. So I would encourage those who are so used to helping others to pause, take a moment and really think about, okay, is this me running away from myself? And, you know, those moments that you are by yourself at night, you know, because you can only be on the phone so much, you know, what comes mm-hmm. up? With you? And so reminding yourself that you need help too, and you have to pour into yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have to be transparent. I feel like this is a very safe space, but I have, definitely felt like um, everything has just culminated me just not taking care of my own mental health and, you know, putting my focus on other people in my family or around me that I've had to deal with. And I've seen it all kind of like come to head in the past three, four months. And I actually made my very first call um, to my insurance to start therapy. And I had, it was scary because I always said I was going to do it, but I, I finally, I finally did it. Um, and the woman I spoke to said, "You need you need some long term therapy." And um, I think you know, as performers, because there's a lot of people here that are on the panel that are performers. It's so like for me, I'm I'm hosting, I'm I'm on camera. This is what I do. And I was telling Erin before before I agreed to do this. You know, I'm a, I was a dancer, I was a performer growing up, so I know how to like turn it on. But inside, I feel like broken because I'm there's so many things that I'm dealing with behind the scenes. And I know a lot of people can relate to that, um, you know, and just kind of tying that in with social media, even so, you know, you see everybody posting how great their life is. And there are some people that are very open. Many of you are very open about it, which is fantastic. But um, there's just a lot that just kind of musters up inside your brain. Um, and for me, like I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm an overthinker. So if I'm alone, I mean, I got my mom to talk to and call a friend, but I overthink. And like my brain just goes like this, like this, like this. And then it's just, it's done. Like I I shut out. And that's um, some so. sort of
2: anxiety because when we're overthinking, you're, you're not creating like wonderful stories. Like when COVID's over, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to meet the person of my, it's usually yeah. self destructive, the worst case scenario. So it makes it very difficult.
3: Catastrophizing has been
0: oh so problematic for me. I mean, it's hard not to do that because I mean, I'm sure you all see it. it. It depends on how much media you're consuming, right? Like for a while I was watching the news as a journalist. I want to stay up with what's happening So I'm watching the news every single day and I realized I got to shut this off. It's too much It's way too much to see um, I want to bring in Taylor um, We're gonna kind of delve into the next topic here the deaths of despair and talk a little bit about addiction and suicide Um, So you're, Taylor, you're coming from a very unique place as uh, a former addict and also recovering uh, addict. So can you share a little bit more about your story and the impact that you're seeing during the current pandemic? Absolutely.
5: Um, So I'll try and give like a very short uh, story (laughs) because it usually takes about an hour. But basically, um, I'm from Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta and I grew up in a very loving Sheltered home. I went to private school, did not drink in high school really. Um, We had very strict policies. So, but the thing that I realized later on is that, you know, we talk about you're talking about the bandage. Um, I had some serious anxiety disorder, OCD. I was diagnosed with PTSD from a car accident I was in. Um, I thought I had ADHD. You know, my parents knew something was off. And I always felt like a project that needed to be fixed. And that's something I talk to parents about when they're sending their loved ones or their children to treatment. Um, A lot of families think that they're going to be fixed and um, that, you know, if they just send them away somewhere with professionals, like everything will be great and it'll after 30 days, they'll be fixed. And that's just not the case. Um, And, you know, until I got sober, I realized that, there's nothing to fix the entire time. Um, it's just part of being human. And I, there's different factors. I was born um, with mental health issues. Maybe the way that I grew up, there are some external factors. Um, but it was the, this is the way I am. And I need to own that and treat that every day. So, you know, I dealt with just just like the, the internal overthinking, just always so hard on myself for my looks, for what I said to people, um, kind of similar to you all. I'm definitely not a performer by any means, but I'm very good at like putting on a front, like everything's going awesome and great. And when I was in high school is when social media started. And so this entire new phase of look how awesome and fabulous my life is, i um, you know, uh, other people should like it too, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I felt a lot of pressure from that. And I went to college. So I went to Auburn University. Surprised I got in, to be honest, because I, like, had such bad anxiety, I really couldn't pay attention in school. Um, So that's another thing that people don't talk about is, like, mental health can really affect children and education. Um, And you may think that it's them not trying or them not going to class, like, playing hooky. But there could be some underlying issues going on there. And mine was, I couldn't stop my mind from racing in class. Um, And so I got into college and, you know, when I went to college, I was like, wow, I can do whatever I want now. I can be whoever I want. I don't have to take my anxiety medication that made me fall asleep on the floor. I don't have to go to doctor after doctor. I can just start fresh. And one of the first nights I went out in college was really the first time I got drunk. And I remember like the feeling, um, it was like the cure for everything for me. Like when I took that first sip and I felt that first buzz, I thought this is it. Like, I don't feel anxious. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what I look like. I feel on top of the world. I feel invincible. Um, it was the first time that my mind was quiet. And so I just never wanted that feeling to stop. And that's, how simple it was for me. Some people talk about a slow progression of an addiction. Um, You know, a progression maybe into drugs. Mine was solely alcohol. And a lot of people are like shocked by that. But alcohol is a drug as well. It's just one that's in every grocery store, every gas station. It's all around us. But it's just as serious, if not more than other drugs. Um, And the fact that it's more accessible and socially okay. Uh, So in college, I had this like excuse that it was socially okay to be drinking as much as I was. But then I got to a point where I blacked out every time I drank, I drank multiple times a week. Um, Then I started drinking alone because my friends didn't want to deal with me blacking out every time I drank. And so I felt that anxiety that when I woke up and I didn't remember what happened the next morning from blacking out, I didn't want to deal with that anymore, but I still wanted to drink. So I would drink alone in my room and that isolation is what really drove the addiction to get to be an everyday thing. Um, I hated being sober towards the end of it. Like I couldn't stand myself when I was sober. The more and more I drank, the more and more I forgot who I was sober. And so it got to the point where I was failing out of school and my parents you know, gave me warning signs and finally pulled me out of school and I went to treatment from there. Um, I will say the last time I drank was May 16th, 2014. So I'm about six years sober now. I'm 26. And, um, it was both the worst day and the best day of my life because it was the day that my life changed for the better. But I woke up in a hospital bed and they told me that I blew 0.02 blood alcohol content for my body shutting down completely. Um, so yes, alcohol can kill you. Um, And so from there I went to treatment and it changed everything. I think just one day I was sitting outside and this guy came and sat by me and I was barely talking in group thinking like, I'm not supposed to be here thinking of every excuse that set me apart from everyone. And he said, I'm just so thankful to be here. And I'm like, why, why on earth are you thankful to be in this place? Like I have maybe five outfits to last me like six months. And you know, I was like the spoiled girl coming into treatment. And he said, no, but you don't understand. Like all of us were put here together for a reason. And the only way that we can get out of this place is if we work together. And so that's where I, uh, um, came up with the we mentality. So my mother sent me a quote while I was, in, um, sober living. And it was, if you take the item mental illness and replace it with, we it creates the word mental wellness. And I'm sure people have seen that quote around, but it just really stuck with me in everything that I did. And it's what brought me into recovery because that's what recovery was all about recovery from addiction, recovery from mental health. It can be recovery from anything. Um, just really looking at that. We mentality and realizing that until you reach out for help, you're not going to be able to get yourself out of that dark place. So I finally one day just asked somebody for help and I started receiving help from people. And when I started receiving help from people, I started building relationships with them. And then I built this new confidence in myself and I started pouring love into myself. And when I finally started healing, I could then give that to the next person. And so it's this chain reaction passing this along to people So yes, like I was in a very dark place and I still talk about that to this day because I want people to know they're not alone and I want to be that person to be that hand. But if there's no hands to pull those people out of that dark place, they're not, they're going to be stuck. So that's why we kind of do have a responsibility to be there for people.
1: Mm -hmm. And
5: um, so, yeah, I went back to school. Um, I went back to Auburn University and I kept it a secret for a little bit, but then one day I got up and I thought to myself, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not supposed to be like keeping a secret about my recovery. Like this is who I am. And if people don't accept that, then I probably don't want them in my life anyways. So I was very transparent about just like being sober in college to everyone. And um, I never had one person really say anything negatively about it. You know, we have this like, fear this false evidence appearing real and um this fear that people the stigma it's like not even stigma like doesn't even exist it's something that we create in our own minds and so I had this idea that I would have a stigma attached to me if I said that I was an addict and honestly when I was open about it I realized that there's no such thing as that and I and I helped by breaking that stigma at my university and other people joined alongside me and were open about their stories too. And so that's kind of how the speaking got started. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of how everything went for me. I'm so thankful to be here today. And, um, you know, another thing too, is that I'm no better than anybody who's on day one. That's another thing like, uh, staying humble through that whole process is very important. And so, um, you know, getting, being on the same level as everyone.
0: Thank you for so sharing yeah. that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that Taylor. You know, I also have dealt with addiction within a close knit uh, part of my family. And, you know, I was thinking about how in this time that I've been dealing with COVID, thinking about how much it actually has affected me um, direct directly, not even realizing that I had been affected for so long. Um, but it is about that connection with the person that you love so much, um, that has really kind of you know evolved the dynamic between me and the people in my life, um, and just knowing that it's almost like as if when you feel acknowledged and that you feel like um, that you're that you're okay and that people accept you for who you are, it's almost like you can just you can just speak about it. Um, so that's what I've seen in my own life. I'd love to talk to um, have Ben or my uh, Mayumi talk about a little bit more about addiction. Um, What are some of the common misunderstandings or the myths that people um, may not know about? Um, What can we be aware about as far as these two topics?
2: Well, I would just say really quickly, um, You know, we hear of people going to treatment and that's one side of it, but I like the point you made in terms of it impacts the whole family. And I think a lot of times families feel, oh, this person needs to go to treatment and if they're okay, then we'll be okay. Not really understanding that addiction impacts everyone and everyone's important for everyone to process how they feel about it um you know for parents or siblings there are some feelings they go but did they do enough they feel helpless you know they don't they they, sh- they would have should have could i should have said this I, why didn't i see it there's a lot of self-doubt and blame um and so a lot of the attention goes to the person with the addiction but you fail to process and heal yourself in terms of uh, understand how it impacts you. And so I would just leave it with the families of loved ones who are at it while you're supporting them, make sure you all are doing the processing and healing um, because when that person hopefully becomes sober, that's another change. And so everyone being in the healthiest emotional space possible, um, everyone growing together is going to make it even more successful once that person
0: returns home.
4: hmm And there's like
0: a sense of guilt or shame sometimes when you are off, like for me, I'm off, you know, doing my thing, I'm working, I'm trying to achieve and trying to do the best I can in my own life. And knowing that other people in your life that you love are suffering, uh, you feel that helpless feeling.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of a, and for though it, it could be a grief process in and out. That could be a whole show in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would Another like topic. To bring awareness that everyone can benefit from treatment. Let's get away from the taboo. Like Taylor said, you're not sending someone off to fix them. No, the entire family would benefit from processing while this person is working on their self. How can you all be processing and working through what it means for you to have a loved one in treatment?
0: Mm-hmm. Anything for you to add, Ben?
1: No, I think she said it well. I, I just think it's it's interesting right now is a, a moment that if we're never gonna be good to other people in terms of helping, you know, take care of them or be there for them, if we're not good to ourselves. And sometimes that forces us to acknowledge those little uh, the dirt under the rug that we talked about already. I mean, addiction, issues around mental health, these are social, these are biological. There's so many factors that go into them. And us being able to just acknowledge, normalize to an extent. Know how we're all doing. I think that's the most important thing. Mayumi said it much better than I could
0: though Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important for all of us to really just speak out and and say something if you're struggling if there's something that you're going through call a friend Um, Write in your journal. That's also helped me as well. Just getting those feelings out and not keeping them internal Um, I want to move over to Meredith now Um, so You know, you revealed, you know, what you've been going through lately and but, you know, you're known to be a very positive voice for people who feel alone. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about your story um, in a nutshell of, of, of being bullied and, you know, what really inspired you to really use your voice and to really create change?
3: Sure. And Michelle, I love the thing. some of the things you've said throughout the panel. I was like, oh, I was going to write that down. That's really true. i learning as I go. <laughs> um, no, I, I just sort of, I guess, okay. So um, grow, I was called ugly a lot. I was bullied in elementary school and I really internalized it. I think as a kid, it's easy to believe what you're told. Um, and then I was Modeling, which was ironic because I was told I was not beautiful and then I would and that was sort of the first sense of like maybe what they're saying isn't true. And um, once I then got signed and my first song went viral, my life obviously very much changed. Um, I was I went from like being picked on to recognized in the street. There were like iPhone cases of it. You know, it was was a very different. Drastic change. And that's when I was like, you know, um, this is probably the chance to tell people that. You know if they're getting bullied things can get better and I I just I didn't know there were so many other people who were talented or gorgeous or and wonderful and smart that were being told they weren't and believing it so that was sort of when I was like wow this is a big problem um because if I if I have the chance to be a voice that's like that instills any kind of hope at all as a singer or just by letting them know it can get better um just from modeling that I, you know, then that could really make a big difference. I think having OCD and having anxiety and low self-esteem because you know, everyone in um, your grade school tells you certain things can really um, be scary, but I've met so many wonderful celebrities across the road, like so many wonderful people in this industry that are love the message. And I really think it's important to, to emphasize that. And of course, highlight the wonderful work, um, that Miami and Ben does as professionals, um, I, I think that people should always be encouraged to get the help they need because
0: it does get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I want to, go, go ahead. I feel like
2: people have this misconception that if you look a certain way, you have a certain profession, mm-hmm. you're known a certain that for some reason you're not human. It's like you're, <laughs> Like you're not human. You don't have feelings. Somehow, because you look a certain way or you have this many followers or you live in this home or you got this degree, um, you are protected from life. And that's not true. And so I think. Because you look a certain way or you have this many followers or you live in this home or you got this degree, um, you are protected from life. And that's not true. And so I think, you know, just recognizing that all of us are human, no matter what, um, and coming forward and people like Meredith and Taylor and, you know, sharing their stories and sharing, and even you, Michelle, sharing your experiences, we're all normalizing that right now. So I just wanted to add that.
4: I think we forget.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to be real. And at the end of the day, like if you're hiding behind a shield, you're not being real with yourself. You're not be- being real with other people. So it just, it just eats up at you inside. Like I was saying, the overthinking and all of those things. Um, you know, I want to go into um, the next section here just to talk about um, going back to like social media. Cause we talked about it earlier. Social media is obviously like it's, it's in our face every single day. There's a lot of beautiful things about it. A lot of things that are really, really tough about social media. Um, you know, but the good thing about all of us here is that we have we have influence, and there's people that want to reach out to you directly. Um, what is your strategy in? And I'll I'll just direct this at Jenna, um, knowing that a lot of young people look up to you and they look to influencers for guidance. What do you feel is your responsibility to your audience? Because knowing that we have these internal feelings, you don't you don't want to give someone the wrong advice, right? Um, so, what is your responsibility? How do you describe that?
4: Yeah. So I. That's a really it's a really good question. I really think that my responsibility, especially as two things, I mean, as a songwriter and as a female, I find that really important as well to, 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 sh- to deliver the message that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and not to be like, oh yeah, it's like a cheesy cliche thing to say, but there really is. And even what Meredith was saying, like in terms of the bullying thing, like I was also bullied and I'm actually about to do an episode with Rebecca Black, who was bullied um you know obviously with her song and all of the, you know that came out years ago or whatever but she's obviously risen to be such an amazing person and like i and also musician and i feel like um these are just examples that i think of young girls or musicians or whatever coming out and being like, like kids that are scared to like maybe live their dreams because they feel like they're not good enough or like meredith said like maybe they're not pretty enough or they're not like all these things and it's and it's and it's I think it's our responsibility to encourage that and make them feel like they're not alone, which is again, why I kind of felt the responsibility to do something like the green room. Cause it's like, if you think about it, they're like, the people they're looking up to they're they have an opportunity to listen. Like these stories that all of you guys have said today, it's like, think about that. If you're like, put yourself back to when you're in elementary school and had the opportunity to, you know, somebody you looked up to and you felt really awful about yourself and you're like, Oh my God, they feel the exact same as me. Like, that's crazy. And so i think in that sense just to be it's it's funny because it's i think as creatives and people that you know if you want to say influencers or if you want to say like somebody that wants to have a voice right i think it's our responsibility to um to be i guess vulnerable and open and comfortable expressing what you go through because like obviously that's the only way that you can help people because you have to be raw and honest and prepared to to you know take that because not everybody's gonna like people will and I'm sure it's happened to everyone here like come at you on social media and be like I hate feminism or I hate this and you're like you know what fuck off like I don't care you know like and it's important no but I mean like listen it's it's you have to do that though like you have to be and I I believe that I think that you have to stand up for something that you believe in as much Mm -hmm. as it you know so
0: yeah, I noticed that you you interviewed Anna Clendenning, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love her. Um, I shot her music video. I did some behind the scenes with her, and you know, it was she's all about uh, speaking out against, um, you know, against the stigma. Um, and I yeah. think she's done a wonderful job. So it's so nice to see artists, and obviously, this is a really big conversation in the world of entertainment and sports. I mean, we've got Kevin Love in the NBA who's advocating for mental health and. Um, just Lady Gaga, I, the list goes on. Um, so I would like to direct this to Ben and Mayumi. Um, what are some of the things that that we can do? Because obviously celebrities, we look up to them, you know, people, people want to follow their idols and they want to kind of model after some of the things that they're doing. So speaking out um, and having a platform is great. But just for, you know, for the everyday person, um, what kind of advice can you give to them and how they can, you know, reach out what are some of the things that they can do to start to heal and start to cope?
2: I'll start. Um, I think the first thing is all of us have been saying is recognize that something's going on and been open to asking for help. Um, I think that's the first step. Um, it can be challenging finding a therapist. You like know, you have to call the insurances. It can be very anxiety provoking, but um, I think making the first step in, seeking seeking therapy, seeking some type of group, I think seeking some type of help is the start to to change. Um, Not expecting yourself to be perfect for those who are high work ethic go-getters. And, you know, now they're having, being faced with some challenging times or, you know, things are coming up for them because we're by ourselves, just recognizing that the entire time you were talking, Michelle, I just want to say it because it's been on my heart. um, We talked a lot about people putting up the front or people, you know, being able to hide behind the screen. So I would just say it's one thing to deceive others. It's a totally different thing to deceive yourself. And so I think COVID is creating a place where it's really hard to deceive yourself. There's less distractions. And so I would just encourage, I leave everyone with that. Um, therapy is an opportunity to heal. It's an opportunity to break generational curses. It's an opportunity to break generational cycles that are unhealthy um, and you deserve it. You We, put, we invest in everything else and it's just simply an investment
0: in yourself. Mm-hmm. And how about finding those resources? Where can they turn to, to find those resources?
2: Um, I'll say really quickly, I want to hear what Ben has to say. There's psychologytoday.com if you want to find a therapist for communities of color. There's therapyforblackmen.org, therapyforblackwomen.org. There's therapy for Latinos. Like, you can Google it. It's there. Um, you can always, in California, you can always call 211, which is kind of like an information hotline, and whatever you need. Hey, I need help with finding... Um, therapy, I need help with finding um, help with my bills, food, shelter, anything you can dial two one one. one one And there's always the suicide hotline that you can text or call if you need
1: support. Great. Yeah, I would just add, I mean, that was so well said. I mean, first of all, thanks for the stories. I mean, the courage, the authenticity, I mean, it's just inspiring. And I think uh, there's a reason that you all are making a huge difference in the world. I think it begins with just your, your heart's And your willingness to be open and transparent so thanks to each of you it's been really inspiring today you know i'm a policy wonk and so i i think of myself as like a the punk rocker of health policy i want to i want to disrupt the system you know light a few couches on fire throw them out the window because it's just not working for folks and so if there was one thing i was going to say and challenge folks to do based on this conversation is to demand for something better you know, it's one thing to be there for each other, but when you need help and you have to go and enter into the system, it's really frustrating for a lot of folks. It's extremely challenging and sometimes care is just not as easily available as it should be. So that's why I do policy. I think that each of us needs to be able to feel comfortable going to our legislator, our local representative, you know, members of Congress, whoever it might be and telling them what you think needs to happen to advance mental health in this country. Just to give you one data point on this one, if you look at how much money has gone into our COVID response, it's in the trillions. Do you know how much money has gone into supporting mental health? It's about $425 million. Oh. That's 0.02% of the $2 trillion that was a part of the first stimulus package. So we have a major, major problem right now that our leadership has not addressed. And with tremendous respect for each of you, you have amazing platforms to be able to inspire and to encourage and to get folks to do more in this policy space. It's not just my responsibility, it's all our responsibilities. It begins with voting. It begins with making sure that you're registered to vote. Let's remind folks as we head into November. And it begins by having your voice heard at the ballot box and with your local representatives.
0: I second that motion. I 100% think that this is what we need to be focusing on. If there's any silver lining that I believe has come out of this COVID pandemic is that we are actually starting the conversation and taking it to a new level when it comes to mental health, but we're not done yet, right? We're not done yet. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and let everybody just kind of, you know, free for all if you have any any final thoughts or anything um, that you wanna say to the audience, what you want them to take away from this conversation that they may not have already. I'll let
4: you guys just go. Um, well, actually, I was just going to add to what Ben was saying in terms of it's our responsibility to give back to mental health, because it is, it is very important.
1: That was going to be so good. <laughs> we could we'll have to like tack one. that
0: on later. <laughs> go. go to her Instagram and then we'll have her, we'll have her, um, give a shout out to her friends and just finish it up. Oh, there she goes. Oh, she's She's back.
4: I was gonna say sorry that I I knew my computer was gonna die I was gonna say that um I think it's important what you said it's our responsibility to not to just say that we care not to just be like you know I think you know especially during this year and all the protests and everything happening and people like obviously saying stuff which is great but you also have to act on it and so I I think you know like for me my like the whole reason I'm doing this whole green room thing is also like giving all the donations back to mental health and I think that I take that really seriously and I'm trying to like learn and actually like apply rather just than be like a, with a talking head. You don't want to just be like, Oh my God, like this is, I I want to help. And then not. So I think that we have to actually like practice what we preach both to like helping other people, but also ourselves, because otherwise it's kind of, there's no, there's not a real point. And you know what I mean? Like, I think it's really, really important that we, we stay true to that. Otherwise, yeah. So to me, that's what I've been really focusing on. Yeah, it's about like the follow through, right? You got to keep
0: following oh. through with what you're saying. You can talk about
4: yeah. it, but you got to be about it. You have to. Otherwise, it's you know, it's it's not going to connect. And I think that you you know you if you want if you care about this stuff, then you have to really take it seriously, even though it may be painful or you know you may not feel like it's easy to learn or be able to apply it in a way that you know like. These things are usually the most rewarding things are always the hardest things to do. Even if it's like going to therapy and you you get so hard and you're like, you know, you dread it, but you get there and it feels so good. It's the same thing like working out. I don't want to work out and you work out and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I worked out that same thing, right? Like you have to do it and it feels really good after. So that's what I would like to add. (laughs) Thank you for that. Anyone else
0: want to add a final thought before we log off? I would
2: say use your gift to create change. So piggybacking off of Ben, and everybody has their own gift. No matter, what, not everybody's a singer or a dancer or a performer, or, you know, a doctor or a therapist. But every, all of us have our own gift, and you have your. So utilize your gift and your passion to do create action and change, so that we can make small steps um, to create overall change, like policy was um, Ben was mentioning about policy.
3: And sometimes the thing that you might be the most insecure about is actually one of those gifts.
4: will
0: advance yes amen i love that yes yes yes. (laughs) taylor it's on you last final thought (laughs) um
5: yes i i just want to kind of reiterate that you know i i want to be transparent like even when i was on this zoom uh a girl that i've been working with passed away to addiction. And I was told that on the zoom and I, it's just weird that that's happening right now. I worked with her, I drove her to treatment. And, um, so just that, please do this to save people's lives, you know, and thank you for everything that y'all have done to save people's lives. Cause yes, like, you know, I, I'm so thankful that we're here for each other. And we, we got to just keep spreading that and be there for other people.
0: Taylor, we're here for you. Thank we're really you. Sorry about your loss. Yeah. It's tremendously crazy. sad. I'm sorry. I
5: felt very called to like say that, that I, you know, if I was making a strange face, like no, I got a text that she passed away from an overdose and I've heard way too many of those and I'm tired of hearing them. I'm tired of it.
1: This is why we fight, Taylor. This is why we fight together, because we lose too many of our friends, we lose too many of our colleagues, and it's just not right. I mean, the, this is this is why I get up every morning, is that we need to, to lead a revolution right now. And it's to save lives. I mean, this is not just about a great talking point. It's not just about a feel good experiment. It's really to save lives. And, and I'm really sorry to hear that, uh, because this happens all the time. All of us probably on this call have experienced something like that or know of someone like that. And I don't want my kids I don't think anybody wants the next generation to grow up saying that they had to experience that too Which is why we need to leave a legacy behind That is a a different legacy than the one that we inherited something that's better for folks So that they can get the care that they need and they can't we can be there to support folks So thank you for your courage and sharing that but that's why we need that revolution
4: We got to talk about it Have to
2: Yes
0: well, we are, and we're gonna to continue to talk about it. And I wanna thank all of you for, for your courage, for your expertise, for your love and for your support. We feel like we're a new family here. Um, and this is what it's all about. It's all about connecting and doing what the best that we can during COVID to continue to use our voices, to continue to help other people, to just make a phone call to your friend, Call your mom, call the aunt that, like I got to call my aunt in Hawaii and see how she's doing because I don't know how she's doing and maybe she's not doing well and that one call could change everything. So I just want to once again, thank everybody for joining us here in the virtual town hall. I'm Michelle Marie, we're signing off and hopefully we'll see you guys soon once again. Thank you.